0: Brothers and sisters, our text comes from us to us from Luke 18 verse 14b and we'll read that again before proceeding to the sermon. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Following the sermon we will sing hymn 2845 and 6. Brothers and sisters, we confess that our only comfort in life and in death is that I belong in body and soul both in life and death to my faithful savior Jesus Christ. But is that promise near to us, or is it far away? What I mean to ask is, is the promise something I aspire to, or something that I have already? Are they something that we possess right now? Are they something far off in the distance, needing to be appropriated at some future date, when my faith has grown to accept the promises or displayed itself through some spiritual experience? The answer, brothers and sisters, is that we confess that our God is faithful and His promises have substance. His promises are ours today, right now. Yet there are some who would consider this confidence misplaced. Even arrogant. They suggest that being so confident, we are taking on the role of judge. A role that rightly belongs to our God. Are they right? Are we elevating ourselves to the position of God when we claim the promises of salvation for ourselves? And so we need to ask the question, is our confidence in God An arrogant assumption, or is it a humble acceptance of what God has done for me? Brothers and sisters, the answer to these questions have everything to do with our attitude, to what's going on in our heart. Therefore, I proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme and points. The parable of the Pharisee and tax collector teaches us that the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. And we see the occasion for the parable, we see the content of the parable, and we see the comfort of the parable. Brothers and sisters, the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector concludes with one party being exalted while the other is humbled. But what exactly does Jesus have in mind when he speaks of being exalted in the parable? Does he mean a little praise from his countrymen? A slap on the back, so to speak? And although although we can all appreciate some acknowledgement for a job well done, this is not quite what Jesus has in mind. No, verse 14a says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Being exalted had to, be, had to do with being justified. The word in Greek translated as justified has a legal meaning. In a court of law, when one party would bring their opponent into court, the judge would decide whether the accused was guilty or innocent. In a situation when the accused was declared innocent, they were said to be Justified. Declared righteous. The one declared righteous would be exalted and their accuser would be humbled. It was what the persistent widow so desperately sought from the unrighteous judge in Luke's previous parable. But unlike the unjust judge of the previous parable, God is a just judge. And he wants his people to be justified. He wants his people to be declared righteous. The Old Testament has a similar word to convey this concept of being justified, and when we look back in the Old Testament we find that God desired to justify his servant Job. Job 33 verse 32 says, "For I desire to justify you." And Job 33 tells us why. Behold, God works all these things to bring back his soul from the pit that he might be lighted with the light of life. God wanted to justify Job so that he might be exalted with life. Job had been humbled, everything taken away, and yet the Lord wants to exalt him. In fact, Isaiah 45 verse 25 tells us that the Lord will justify all those who are the offspring of Israel. It says, In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we too are considered the offspring of Israel, justified by God and awaiting the coming glory, the exaltation of his church, in which we are all members. But so often we wonder, can we really be sure that we two are the offspring of Israel? Doesn't Galatians 3 verse 7 say, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So am I one of those who have faith? How do I know? Sometimes my faith is so weak and others seem so confident that I'm left in doubt. I want so desperately to be confident about my position in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, what use would Lord's day one be anyway? Shouldn't I have the confidence that David exhibits in Psalm 26? He appeals to the Lord, vindicate me. The word translated as vindicate is the same word often translated as judge. David wants the Lord to judge him. And he's not afraid to come before his righteous judge. He declares his own innocence and righteousness before God, saying, I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. If David was self assured about being justified before God, shouldn't we all be this confident? After all, If I can't be confident that I'm justified, where is my comfort? And now when we look at our reading from Luke 18, we read that Jesus is addressing some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But shouldn't we trust that we are righteous? Isn't that what David had done in Psalm 26? Expressed his confidence in his righteousness before God? Is it wrong to give thanks the way that David does? Listen again to what David says: "I don't sit or I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked." So what's happening in Luke, brothers and sisters? Why wouldn't Jesus want to exalt those who were confident about their own righteousness? To get a better handle? On what's happening, we need to look at the context of our parable. Jesus had just pointed out in Luke 17 that the kingdom was coming. And as a consequence, in the parable of the persistent widow, he had taught them that they needed to continue in prayer. And now he's addressing those who do pray and the manner in which they pray. You see, there's a difference between being confident in the Lord and confident in ourselves. And this is the distinction the Lord shows us in the parable. The New King James Version does a good job in its translation when it says, some who trusted in themselves. And that does not describe David. So who does our passage refer to? We shouldn't automatically conclude that this message was directed exclusively against the Pharisees. Although they were certainly there as Luke 17 verse 20 indicates... However, we should not overlook the disciples who were addressed just two verses later in Luke 17, verse 22. In addition, Jesus does not single out any group, but simply addresses some who trusted in themselves. The problem was their attitude. They did not humbly trust the Lord, but rather exalted their own righteousness, Scripture teaches us that God wants us to trust in Him. In fact, the Lord encourages such trust, even allowing His people to undergo many trials to bring them into a more trusting relationship with Him. Consider the words we find in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's what God wants to see in our prayers, that we trust Him. He wants us to humble ourselves before Him, acknowledging that we have nothing to offer, and so humbly to seek His mercy. And so to illustrate his point, Jesus tells the parable that we find in our reading. To get a better sense of what's happening in the parable, we need to consider how those listening would have viewed the Pharisees versus the tax collector. The Pharisee was a picture of religious piety. They went above and beyond the requirements of the law. They made a point of obeying the commandments. They were diligent about keeping the sabbath not using the Lord's name in vain, avoiding adultery, theft, and deceit. The majority of the people listening to Jesus did not view the Pharisees as a group of hypocrites like many modern-day readers of Scripture. No, they viewed them as we would view the most upstanding members of the congregation. After all, obedience to the law was commanded by God and His Word and outwardly they appeared to be leading a blameless life. Yet in contrast, the tax collector was a person who was despised, even considered unclean. A tax collector was a traitor who had agreed to collect taxes on behalf of their Roman oppressors, a Gentile nation occupying the promised land. They had made a choice to go against their own people for the almighty dollar. And it was customary for tax collectors to add a collection fee to the taxes that were owed to Rome. This was to cover their own expenses and their wages. But Rome left that amount up to the discretion of the individual tax collector. And so as a result, many greedy and unsavory characters had gone into tax collecting in order to extort money from their own countrymen to become rich. And as a result, they were viewed with contempt. The same way we might view someone who had sold out the faith. It's not hard to think of a few examples those estranged from the church because of jobs that required them to live contrary to God's word, or those in higher education who've sold out their scriptural beliefs in order to gain acceptance in the academy or those who for the sake of a relationship turned their back on the church, I'm sure we could come up with many more examples. And now that we see the contrast that Jesus is presenting, we would do well to ask ourselves, where do we fit in, brothers and sisters? Are we in the camp of the Pharisees or in the camp of the tax collectors? Are we more likely to be in a position to humble ourselves Or to exalt ourselves. And this brings us to our second point the content of the parable. So Jesus presents the reader with two characters at different ends of the religious spectrum the honored religious leader and the despised tax collector. He goes on to show us two contrasting responses to the matter of faith. The Pharisee stands by himself, separate from those around him, as opposed to the tax collector, who does not even dare to come near. And given the social divide, this shouldn't surprise us. The Pharisee had no fear of standing up in the temple court to pray. He was a respected member of the community. Yet on the flip side, it took a lot of guts for the tax collector to show his face in the temple a member of the community that most people considered to be unclean imagine how hard it would be for someone estranged from the church for being engaged in some despised and public sin to walk through that door and take their seat among us how easy would it be for the adulterer the con artist the homosexual offender or the murderer to come through the doors of our church would we be inclined to stand at a distance in the presence of such a sinner? And Jesus goes on to describe how the two characters pray. Although our text does not explicitly say that the Pharisee looked up, that was the tradition. In contrast, the tax collector would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He, to look up was a gesture of expectation. The Pharisee prayed with every expectation that the Lord would hear his prayer. An expectation we should all have after hearing the message of the persistent widow. But the Pharisee came with an expectation of being justified for his own actions. The Pharisee thanks God, the Lord for making him a righteous man. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector... I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. And is that attitude so foreign to us? I thank the Lord that I'm born a member of God's covenant people, brought up into church to avoid crime and injustice, living a life of purity and respect. I pay church and school and show up twice on Sunday. Surely God will justify me. It's so easy. To exalt ourselves with this type of thinking. But the tax collector looking down had no expectation. He knew that he was a sinner. And that he didn't deserve anything from the Lord. Yet he came. Our text says he beat his breast a sign of mourning. And he cried out to the Lord be merciful to me a sinner. He truly acknowledged his brokenness. And his inability to please God. But rather than walk away from the faith. He pleads with God to be merciful to him. It was his only hope. And Jesus says, I tell you. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The problem with the Pharisee was that he belonged in the same camp as the tax collector. Jesus had made that point to the Pharisees earlier in the book of Luke. In Luke 11:42, Jesus says, "But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice in the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other." He's saying that in spite of all their faithfulness to the law, they still had failed to live as God wanted them to. They were sinners, just like the tax collector. And the right response was to cry out for mercy. But instead, they exalted themselves. Their own righteousness was not going to appease the just requirements of our righteous judge. This was the difference between David's boast and the Pharisees. David was not confident in his own righteousness. When we listen to the words of Psalm 51, we can see that David indeed was in the camp of the tax collector. There he declares, Have mercy on me, O God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But that still leaves us with a question of how David was able to declare such confidence in his righteousness? And the answer is because God does answer the cry of a sinner for mercy. He desires to justify his people. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 28, verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Our God hears the prayers of a repentant sinner and exalts those who humble themselves before him. As a result, we too can have the confidence that David displayed, because in spite of my sin, the Lord delivered us while we were still sinners. It's the message of Romans 5, where it tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? What was impossible for us to achieve through our own righteousness, God achieved through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our last point, the comfort of this parable. For the sake of Jesus Christ, the cry of the tax collector to have mercy has been heard. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the law. He fulfilled the obedience to the law. He fulfilled the obedience to the law for me and for you. And he imputed his righteousness to us. And in so doing, did he take the attitude of the Pharisee? No, brothers and sisters. He too humbled himself obediently before the Father. As we know from the well-known words of Philippians 2, where it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross And as a result of his humble obedience, he was exalted above every name in heaven and on earth. And what benefit is that to us? Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If I hold up my works before the righteous judge, I can only expect judgment. Because I can't do it. But when I come before the righteous judge, looking to Jesus Christ, I will be declared righteous. The result of his work is what we confess in question and answer 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The righteous judge will see me as if I had never had nor committed any sin. And as if I had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. On account of Christ's work. He has secured righteousness for all his people. Because of his work, I can confess the Lord's day one is for me. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And has set me free from all the power of the devil. Brothers and sisters, that is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ at work. What I couldn't do in my sinfulness, Jesus did for me. He lived the obedient life that I couldn't. He humbled himself because I couldn't. He took the sin that was registered against my account and he took it to the cross and he covered it with his blood. With his blood, he ransomed me and he took me to be his own after everything that he has done. How can I come before my heavenly father as if I had anything to offer on my own account? No, brothers and sisters, all I can do is look down in shame and beat my breast, crying out, have mercy on me, a sinner. The humble response of a sinner. But I also have the confidence of David that I will be justified because my Lord and Savior was raised up and exalted to be our chief high priest, Our Lord Jesus Christ knows the struggles we face and he knows our weaknesses, yet he says, draw near with confidence. And so, brothers and sisters, in light of what Jesus teaches us, we need to revisit the question, are we in the camp of the tax collector? The preceding parable of the persistent widow taught us that we should live a life of continual prayer, a life of thanksgiving for all the blessings that we have received from the hand of our gracious Savior. And now the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector challenges us to humbly acknowledge our sin before the throne of God and plead our case on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. Because if I am coming before Him, exalting myself, and pointing to my own righteous work, then all I can be assured of is to be humbled. But if I, am in, if I am in the Pharisees' camp, then I need, brothers and sisters, to repent and humble myself before the Lord and seek His mercy. I need to remind myself that I too belong in the camp of the tax collector. I walk by grace on account of the mercy of God. Therefore, let us be humble, not relying on our own works, but upon God's grace. And so, brothers and sisters, let us rely completely on the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we humbly lift our empty hands in faith to receive the salvation that Christ has secured through his perfect obedience, we can. Confess with confidence that salvation is mine in spite of all my sins and misery. The comfort of Lord's Day one is near. Why? Because Christ paid the ultimate price for my sin and gives me his perfect obedience. Christ died for me, suffering the shame and contempt of the cross. That is the good news of the gospel. God is faithful to his promise that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who are in Christ shall be exalted with Christ. That's what Christ's perfect obedience has done for you and for me. Amen.